If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to meet me in Philemon. Now, I know I just said Philemon, and some of you might be like, hmm, that even a book in the Bible? It is. Philemon is actually one of the most understudied and underappreciated letters in all of Scripture. So, with that being the case, do not feel bad if you have to turn to your table of contents to find the letter of Philemon. It's only actually 25 verses, so it's pretty hard to find. But let me help you, just in case you're like, well, I'm a little insecure about that. So let me help bring, create some security to you. Find the book of Hebrews, which we've been studying together. If you find Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 1, and the letter before the letter to the, to the Hebrews is Philemon. All right, so that will help you get to Philemon. And the reason that Philemon is not much of a book that you hear preached on or talked about is because it's very obscure. Um, we have this personal letter that God, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, decided to insert into his word for us, which I think is very important for the church today. But we have this very obscure letter, a personal letter from Paul to Philemon about a person named Onesimus. And so we're going to take a look at this passage because what we're going to talk about today is how do we reconcile our relationships? How do we reconcile our relationships? And I believe that Paul's letter to Philemon addresses and answers that question for us. So let me help you because many of us are still very new to the Philemon uh, study, maybe. Um, so let me give you an illustration about how we're going to move through this sermon, kind of where this sermon is going to end up. How many of you are familiar with the Golden Gate Bridge? Golden Gate Bridge. You should all be very familiar with the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, it is one of the most photographed bridges in all the world. Did you know that before when the Golden Gate Bridge became a an idea in somebody's mind that the bridge was actually called the bridge that couldn't be built? They thought in their minds there was no way that we could build a suspension bridge in the 1930s that connects San Francisco to Marin County. Everybody said it can't be done. It can't be done. It cannot be done. But in 1937, it was done. And... To what speaks to my heart, it was done before the time, the deadline, and it was done under budget. Amen. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Don't you wish like that's the way church budgets work? Like, oh, it was before the deadline, and uh, we were below budget. Yes. Amen. Um, and so it's actually known by some as the seventh wonder of the world. This thing is massive. Actually, it was for over almost 30 years. It was the longest suspension bridge in the world until another bridge was built. And so let me kind of give you some statistics of the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge is actually 1.7 miles long. It spans across this big body of wire, water. In fact, the, the middle of the bridge sits 256 feet above the water. That's a long fall. Okay. It is the longest cable bridge. It has two cables that are more than 70,000 feet in length and they contain 80,000 miles of wire stretched across between towers at 746 feet high. That's a big bridge. And I love the idea of the, the people who, when they were bringing this idea of like, let's connect San Francisco to Marion County, people were like, this bridge can't be done. It can't be built. And the reason is because the engineers and the builders would tell you that they had to face difficult fog, wind, they had to face difficult tides and rock in order to build this bridge. 
But here's what I see, and here's what happened. That bridge has been built. It can be done. And the reality that I want you to take away is, is this. We as Christians are called to be bridge builders. And specifically, gospel bridge builders in our relationships. I think Philemon and Onesimus, they had a really bad relationship. Because Paul is actually addressing how Philemon should receive Onesimus when Onesimus arrives with this letter. And I believe that there's people in this church, when they see Onesimus and Philemon show up together in the same church building, they're like, "Uh uh-oh, how is this going to go? I'm not sure reconciliation is even possible. And it just reminded me of what Jesus said when he said, all things are possible with who? God. The gospel calls us to be a people who build gospel bridges when our relationships become broken. And I want to argue this morning that the power of the gospel can bring the most distant marriage together. It can bring the most strained relationship that you might have with your mother or your father or a brother or sister together. The gospel has the power to heal your wounds and your hurt that we deliberately and sometimes unintentionally bring to each other's lives. Let me just let me just put it to you this way. Relationships are messy. Are they not? Relationships are messy. When you get to a relationship, when you put a relationship with the people, it gets messy. I used to laugh and joke when I was an ignorant young pastor. I used to say, man, pastoring would be the best job in the world if you didn't have to deal with people. But guess what? It is the people business. I didn't understand what I, when I was actually, I was ignorant, like I said, and I didn't understand how beautiful the gospel is in our relationships. Because the gospel says, yes, relationships can be messy, but Jesus Christ and what he did for us has the ability to reconcile any relationship. Now, there's two reasons that we're going to be talking about reconciliation this morning in Philemon. Number one, we believe one of our values here at Center Church is we desire to cultivate biblical communion. I'm going to tell you something. Center Church, you are the best at doing community. Like, we are good in community. We are a tight-knit family. And one of my concerns, because we're so tight-knit, one of my concerns and one of the things that we need to actually war against, battle against as a very tight-knit group of people, is that we don't want to become so tight-knit that we become closed off. In other words, we need to be tight-knit, but also tight-knit in a way that we bring other people into our community. That we're open when it comes to people coming into the church, into our MCs, and into our equip groups. And it's not like, well, us against them. It's like everybody has a part to be in this. But I want you to know that we do community really well. But here's the second thing. Are you ready? When you do tight community, you're going to have some conflict. You're going to have some relational tension and problems in community. We have a tendency to hurt each other. Sometimes you might sin against someone. Sometimes somebody might sin against you. Relationships are difficult. Relationships are hard. And relationships are messy because we live in a fallen and broken world. Listen, you're going to come to the church and somebody in the church is going to hurt your feelings. Somebody in the church is going to say something that they didn't mean to be mean, but it might come across mean. I'll be the, admit, the first to admit that I'm the worst at it because I don't have I don't have like a grace filter sometimes. And I just and then you're just like, oh, that really hurt my feelings. And you'll walk away. And I'm like, I didn't even know I hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to. But the reality is we don't walk around with hurt feelings. As Christians, we do something about it. And you know what we do? We build 
gospel bridges. So I'm going to show you through this text how we're going to do this. In fact, um, I was talking to Katie. So I don't know if you know, our women are going through a study called on Jenny Allen's called uh, Finding Your People. Find Your People. And they meet once every Thursday, uh, once a month on a Thursday. They did it last Thursday. And so as one of the pastors here, I like to know what our people are studying and reading and listening to, you know, so I can make sure that they're biblically accurate and theologically correct. And so I sit with Kate and I'm like, tell me about this book that y'all are reading and going through as women. And she made this comment. She's like, I, one of the things that I loved about the book is she said the, 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 the Jeannie Allen made this comment that conflict actually fuels closeness in our relationships when they're handled biblically. I'm like, wow, that's really, that's really powerful stuff. It makes sense. So the closer you get to somebody, the more chances you have for conflict, right? But the more that you're able to biblically handle that conflict, guess what happens to your relationship? It gets better. It gets good. It actually works itself out. You get closer together. And so what we want to see through Philemon is we don't want to be what I see a lot happening in our church in America is this. When we have a conflict, we don't talk about it. We sweep it under the rug and we just allow bitterness to well up in our hearts. Instead, well, I pray that we are like Philemon and Paul and Onesimus and that we build gospel bridges. Now, we don't exactly know. Let me kind of give you a little history lesson of Philemon. We don't really know the full story of what happened between Philemon and Onesimus. So we in the biblical scholarship community, we practice a hermeneutic that we call mirror reading. And what mirror reading is, is you take a look at the arguments that God has given to us in scripture and you try to build the scenario using what the scripture says. Does that make sense? It's like mirror reading. We're looking into the text. We're trying to put together through the mirror of the lens of scripture what's going on. And so most people believe that Philemon and Onesimus' falling out came because Onesimus who was a bondservant to Philemon, ran away. Now, back in this day, you didn't run away. If you actually ran away, you'd be called a fugitive and you would go to prison. And so Onesimus, who was serving Philemon, for whatever reason, decided to run away, decided to leave Philemon's service. And Onesimus, as he runs away, he runs actually a thousand miles away. A thousand miles away. He makes it to Rome. And I think in Rome, the, the, the church history tells us most likely that what happened is when he was in Rome, he was found out to be a, a runaway servant. And so in Roman literature and Roman history, what they would do is they would throw these servants where? In jail. So Onesimus fought, comes to jail and guess who he meets in prison? An apostle by the name of Paul. And this is during, uh, we believe that this is during Paul's first Roman imprisonment. So Paul is in Roman prison and in walks Onesimus. And guess what Paul does to good old Onesimus? What is Paul known for? Sharing the gospel. I know you're all going to say that. I saw it on your faces, but I said it for you. He was known for sharing the gospel. So Onesimus walks in and Paul is sitting there and meets Onesimus most likely. And Paul begins to share the gospel with Onesimus. And guess what Onesimus does? By God's grace, he repents of his sin and believes in Jesus. And so now Paul is going to send Onesimus back to Philemon, who is also a believer. I think we should take something away from Paul's ministry here. And that is this. Brothers and sisters, no matter where you are, 
No matter where you go, you should be sharing the gospel with as many people as you know. No matter where you are, at your business, share the gospel. At the daddy-daughter dance last night, share the gospel. At the basketball games, share the gospel. Just don't coach like me. I do a very poor job sharing the gospel when I coach. No matter where we are, people are coming to us. God is bringing people into our paths. We call this through divine appointments for us to get the message of the good news to Jesus to them. And God uses a Roman prison where Paul is and a runaway servant, Onesimus, and he brings them together because he knows that Paul is going to be faithful in sharing the gospel and Onesimus's life has changed. Brothers and sisters, that is our mission as believers. Our call as Christians is to get the gospel to as many people as possible. And so in your life, every person who comes to you, consider it a divine appointment from God to tell them about the truth and the love of Jesus. So now, Paul is going to talk to Onesimus and Philemon about conflict. So how do we resolve conflict in our church culture? What does biblical reconciliation look like through Philemon. Well, the first answer we find in verses one and three, and that is this. The, the church as a church, it is our responsibility to maintain a culture of reconciliation and unity. That's the first thing you need to take away as a church. It is our responsibility to maintain a culture of reconciliation and unity Amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our responsibility as a church to make sure people are reconciling, in other words. So look at verses 1 through 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, we've established that he is a prisoner in Rome. And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So from the greeting, Paul establishes who's writing the letter. Paul, a prisoner from for Christ Jesus. We know he's in prison in Rome. And Timothy, our brother. And look who he's writing to. He's writing to Philemon. He's writing to Aphia. So he's acknowledging Aphia is going to be there. He acknowledges Archippus is going to be there. And the what? The church in your house. So the question you're asking, because I asked it too, is why is this then the letter of Paul to Philemon if he's writing to all these people? Great question. Let me answer it for you. The reason that we believe this is a personal letter to Philemon is because when letters were written in this particular time period, the address E was always the first one to be addressed in the list of people. So what name is first? Philemon. Okay, three of you are still paying attention. Good. Philemon is the first name. So if this historically was the first name of the person is the addressee, then who's being addressed? Philemon. But who is also in the letter? You have Aphia, Archippus, and the church in your house. Now, we, we could say, well, maybe it's all of them. It's not all of them because when you actually read the Greek text, so Philemon was written in the Greek language, uh, the old Greek language from verses four through twenty two, the verbs that Paul uses are in the singular you. Now, we don't do this in Eng our English. OK, because we can use a you singular and a you plural together. So let me give you're thinking I'm 
I'm not in English class, Jeremy. You shouldn't be teaching me grammar, okay? And Miss Stark would highly disagree with you, right, Miss Stark? She's our English teacher, our resident English teacher here, all right? And so the idea is, let me, let me give it to you in Texan, okay? So in Texan, we actually acknowledge the you in the singular and the you in the plural. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you in the singular. But if I want to talk to all of you, what do I say? Y'all. It's good to see y'all this morning, okay? See how I did that? That me acknowledging the plural. Now, if you're from, if you're like, well, Jeremy, I'm not from Texas. I'm from the north. Then it would be the equivalent of me saying use guys. It's good to see you guys here. All right. So now we're all on the same page. When you actually read verses four through 22 and verses four through 22, he's, he's saying you, not y'all. And so when he talks and he uses the word, I appeal to you for my child, he's not saying, I appeal to y'all, church. He's saying, no, I'm appealing to you, Philemon. So the question is then, why is he including the church in the introduction? And this is what I believe. This is why I think the church is our responsibility to maintain a culture of gospel reconciliation and unity. is because he's expecting the church to hold them both accountable. He's saying, Archippus... He's saying, Aphia, church, I'm sending this letter. Here's Onesimus. Here's Philemon. It is your responsibility to make sure that they follow through and reconcile together. So how might that look in the American church context? Well, I think it's very simple. You ever had somebody come up to you and just tell you how mad they were at somebody else? You see, we're very good. We're, we're, our people, like the way that we work in the world, we never actually address conflict or situations with the person. We address it with everybody else besides the person, right? Don't look at me all spiritual. You know what I'm talking about. We all do this, right? So instead of addressing the issue with the person, we talk about it with the other person. So how do we implement a culture of this in Center Church Brenham? Well, this is what happens. If somebody has a conflict with somebody else and they walk up to you like, oh, I'm so mad at fill in the blank because they did fill in the blank. What should be your first question be? Have you talked to them about that yet? Have you sought reconciliation with them yet? Don't bring it to me until you first have talked to them. Now, what happens if they say, well, yeah, I actually did bring up with them and nothing changed. Well, now you take the position of Paul. Now you get to be the mediator and help reconcile. It's now your responsibility to help reconcile between the two conflicting parties. And let me be honest with you. We as an American church, we stink at biblical reconciliation. Like we're terrible at it. We'd rather take our ball and go home than actually try to work things out. And I think that is a complete disdain to the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't say, "Mm, take your ball and go home. The gospel says, no, Jesus reconciled you to God the Father for how long? Forever. Forever. I remember when I first was introduced to the idea that we have a very bad concept of biblical reconciliation in the church. When at my very first church, I was there for four and a half years. I started out as the youth pastor, then I became the family's pastor, then I kind of became the associate pastor who looked over everything else. And about three years into this service, I remember this deacon who I really, I really loved him. I thought he was a great guy. I enjoyed uh, his company. We had really kind of bonded my first year there at that church. And I remember we used to, I was in an old traditional Southern Baptist kind of church. You know, we wear the suit and ties. We had the Sunday night service. And I remember after Sunday night service, I'm walking into the, to the parking lot. And he drives up and he rolls his window down of his truck and he says, Hey, Pastor Jeremy. He actually called me Pastor Jay. That was my youth name. 
I'm not a youth pastor anymore. Just call me Pastor Jeremy and we'll be fine. Or just Jeremy's sufficient. He rolled his window down and said, hey, Pastor Jay, I'm going uh, to attack you tomorrow night verbally in our deacons meeting. I was like, oh, wonderful. <laughs> and uh, I said, why? He's like, well, I'm actually not trying to attack you. What I want to do is I'm, I'm actually going to attack you so that our lead pastor will join in and defend you so I can actually turn my rage on what's really bothering me, which is him. I was like, that's a pretty devious plan. And so I looked at him and I didn't know, at first I didn't know what to say. My mouth kind of was just dropping. I'm like, this guy actually thought about doing this. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy, number one. But I loved him and I said, well, I said, first off, thank you for informing me of your verbal assault coming my way. I'm looking forward to it. But have you ever thought about actually just going and talking to the pastor if you have a, a conflict? And you, his face dropped as if I had a booger hanging out of my nose. He was like, the audacity of you to tell me to actually go fix this in private with him? I'd rather do it in public in a deacon's meeting. But the problem is, guys, I think many of our people in a church, that's exactly how we handle conflict. It's exactly how we handle conflict in our church setting. It was no surprise because that church never held each other accountable for biblical reconciliation. It was no surprise that seven days after I was got called by God to a new pastorate, a lead pastor in Greenville, that that church split in half. You know why it split? They didn't know how to biblically reconcile conflict in their relationships. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a people who reconcile and hold each other accountable to reconciling. If you have a problem, let's go fix this conflict so our relationship can be restored and made new and continue to flourish. Paul says, Philemon, I'm going to be addressing you through this letter, but hey, church, I'm holding you responsible to making sure that they reconcile together. So, number two, not only is the church responsible for maintaining this reconciliation culture, but number two, the way that we begin reconciliation is through two means. Mainly one that we actually kind of do a part A to, and that is this. You begin the reconciliation process in prayer. You begin the reconciliation process in prayer. And then a subcategory of that prayer is you are going to say thankful prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving even to the person that you're in conflict with. Look what he says in verses 4 through 7. Paul just doesn't get to the point. Philemon, correct yourself. He says, no, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love. And of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. What does Paul begin with? Paul says, Philemon, I've been praying for you. I pray for you. I thank God for you. I thank God for what he's done in your life. I thank God for the ministry that he's given to you and how you're effectively being a minister of the gospel to the people in your community in Colossae. I, I, I'm praying for you, Philemon. You see, I believe that many of us, when we get into conflict, the first thing we want to do is we want to control the situation. And so what we want to do, instead of going to God in dependence upon him, we just try to fix it in dependence of ourselves. I'm reading a book uh, with... Uh, a group of men right now, and we're reading the book, A Praying Life. 
And in the book of Praying Life, Paul Miller talks about this concept of being dependent on people in prayer when you're in conflict. And he gives this scenario of this wife named Sue. And Sue continuously, continuously asks her husband to take out the garbage. And he continuously fails to do so. And so she takes matters into her own hands because it obviously is a, it's, it's bringing a bit of conflict into their marriage. Right? She wants him to take out the trash. And so he doesn't do it. So now she has to do it. And so in order to, before even opening in prayer, she comes to her husband and she said, Honey, you forgot to take out the trash again. Now, what does that again say? It says, you better correct yourself before I correct you, honey. It's a moment in which like, there's conflict, there's conflict in our relationship, and I'm going to fix it by fixing you. But let's be honest, we can't fix other people very well, can we? We can help people, but who's the ultimate one who's the ultimate fixer? His name is Jesus. And so when we have conflict, the first thing we should be doing in that relationship is we should be praying. We should be seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't fix this struggle in this relationship by myself, but I know that you can. And so I want you to help me to fix it. Help me to mend the bond that has been broken from whatever sinful, either intentional or unintentional action or word has been said or done against me. And let and help us to mend and heal our relationship. And you know what happens when you begin to... Put yourself into a posture of prayer when you're in conflict. God actually begins to change you. Crawford Loritz, Dr. Crawford Loritz, he made this comment and he said he loves, uh, he, he, he's a, him and his wife have been married a very long time. And so when they asked him, like, how do you, how do you and your wife deal with conflict in, in ministry? Dr. Loritz said this, he said, I pray for her. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? He said, it's hard to be mad at somebody you're praying for. That just stuck with me. And I didn't hear that from Crawford. I actually heard it from his son, Brian. Because Brian, it meant so much to Brian that it stayed with him. And he continues to share it when I was under his ministry. He shared it with me. It's hard to be mad at people you're praying for. It's easy to be mad at people you're gossiping about. So the way we begin healing conflict is we begin with prayer. But then we also move on to praying and thanking God for that person. Look at verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul says, I, I, I am thankful for you. you. You bring me joy. You bring me comfort. And then in a few minutes, he's about to say, and I'm going to ask you to take my joy and comfort to a new level by receiving Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. But in this moment, he's giving thanks. He's thanking Philemon and giving thanks to God for what God has done through Philemon and in Philemon. See, here's the other part of it. When you're in conflict with someone, take a moment to be thankful for what, whatever it is that they've done good in your life. Change the mentality from negative to positive. And go to God and say, thank you, God, for their ministry. Thank you, God, for the way that they've loved me or the way that they helped me many years ago go through a very difficult time in my life. Thank you for their hospitality. Thank you for the way they're always welcoming. Thank you for their sense of humor or their personality or whatever it is. And as you begin to thank God, then what stirs within you at that moment, what stirs in your heart is like, man, I really miss that person and I want to make it right. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Uh, now, Katie and I, we, didn't, we weren't in conflict this week, thank the Lord. I mean, we had our normal marital stuff, okay? Um, but this week, as I was kind of preparing and as I was reading, I was like, you know what, God, I'm going to take a moment this morning and I'm going to sit down and just thank you for my wife. And so I started writing some things that I really appreciate Katie for. 
And by the way, she's not in here, but I, I already passed this check mark by her before I presented it to you guys. And so um, I started to pray and I say, started to thank God. And one of the things I thank God for for my wife is she, she is a logistical genius. Okay, we have five, kids, five children and she has me. And I don't know, I'm, I'm already like, I couldn't live with myself. I just tell you that right now. I couldn't be married to me. I just, it would be a, a problem. But she graciously and lovingly married me. And we have five children. And our house is busy. I looked at our calendar this week. And we don't have a night to ourselves. We are gone every single night this next week. With baseball. With swimming. With Aggie Muster. Like we got a busy schedule. And Katie keeps everything together. She keeps everything together. And I'm just like God thank you so much for her. Because you know what ends up happening. In our home. Me and our, our children and I. We, we believe we live in a magical house. We really do. Such a magical house. So in the mornings when I go in there to get a shirt or the kids got to get clothes, like some gnome that night has come and done our laundry and put all of them away nicely and neatly. Some some gnome or some magical being has come into our house and all the lunches are ready and stacked for us to go to start our days either at school or at work. My favorite is we have actually, we have a magical pantry and a magical refrigerator. Every Monday morning, it's empty but by the time I come home on Monday at lunch, both of them are filled. It's like the house new. But in all reality, what, what am I saying? My wife takes care of all that. And we get so used to it. We get so used to it. Like when something is off, we notice. We're like, what happened? For example, Lincoln came in the other day. So normally Katie kind of helps finish up all, we, we, we split jobs at night. We call it the witching hour. Okay. When the kids are trying to get kids fed and ready for bed and they need to go to school and you're trying to get the house kind of maintained for the day. And so Katie, I was like, Hey, let's just go to bed tonight. Don't worry about the dishes. We'll get those. We'll get those tomorrow. And Lincoln walked in that morning after he had finished his cereal bowl appalled because he normally has an empty sink that he puts a cereal bowl into. And he was like, there's dishes in here. Mom, somebody, the gnome did not do the dishes last night. It's okay, honey, just put your, put your plate in the sink. And so that night, as I got done praying about Katie and thanking God for Katie, I was just so thankful that she was my wife and that she's our, my children's mother. And she got done, we got done with the witching hour and I just, I just gave her a hug and I said, honey, I just want you to know, I, I really, I, I appreciate you. Thank you for all that you do to keep our house in line and keep it functioning well. Now, when I thank my wife that way, what do you think that does to our relationship? Go ahead, you can interact with church. Do you think it makes her happy or sad? Do you think it makes our, our relationship excel or go backwards? So when I'm thanking God for her, it makes our relationship excel. And when I'm thanking God for somebody that I'm in conflict with, it reminds me of how much our relationship excelled and flourished. And it makes me want to resolve the quick, the conflict that much quicker so that our relationship can be that much better, that faster. You see how it works? So we begin this process with prayer and thanksgiving. And then the last thing that we see here in verses 8 through 22 is conflict gives us an opportunity to be like Christ. Conflict gives us an opportunity to be like Christ. Look how Paul says at verse 8. He says, accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Philemon. Yet, for the love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ. 
I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And he's talking about the spiritual father there. That Onesimus was saved under my ministry, and as he was saved under my ministry, he became a use to me. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you because he ran away from you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. What's very interesting that Paul does here is Onesimus' name in the original language, the Greek language, means useful. So Paul is playing on Onesimus' name to Philemon's conscience. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you. I'm sending you my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even if you're even your own self. And, And I think what Paul is implying there is Paul is saying you became a Christian through my ministry, too. Whether directly or indirectly, Paul had some type of, 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 of reasoning or some type of influence in Philemon's own salvation. And in verse 20, he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit. That word benefit is the same word for onesimus, usefulness from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. You know what Paul is saying here? Very clearly and simply, Paul is saying this. Philemon, don't forget... What Christ did for you. Christ made you a child of God. Now be like Christ and reconcile to your brother Onesimus. Be like Christ and mend the bond that had been broken with your brother who used to be your bond servant. Let me just be frank with you for a moment. The way that we reconcile conflict in America is terrible. Have you ever heard this term called cancel culture? I actually wrote an article against cancel culture. Got some likes. Got some dislikes. See, we live in a culture that you make a mistake, you say something wrong, you offend somebody, you sneeze the wrong way, you're canceled. Relationship broken and severed forever. And I think in some ways... We have adopted that as a church because we stink at biblical reconciliation. We stink at being like Christ and forgiving others who have wronged us and asking for forgiveness from others who we have wronged. But I believe that when we are a church that seeks biblical reconciliation, we are a church that promotes and visibly shows people the power of the gospel. We show people what the gospel can do in our relationships. We don't cancel each other. Instead, when we have conflict, we go to each other and we reconcile it through the power and the presence of the gospel. And that's what makes us different. And I think people in our world, especially in our American context, they desire this. 
And the reality is that when they look at the church, this is exactly what they should see. They should see brothers and sisters always being quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to forgive so that our relationships can continue to flourish as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see the beauty of the gospel in this text, by the way? Let me show it to you. In all reality, you and I, we are Onesimus. We were actually supposed to be under our master's care. We were supposed to be under our master's roof and under his rules. We were supposed to do things the way that God had, our creator had said we were to do things. But instead, we decided to sin against him. And when we sinned against God, we decided to run away from him. We decided to separate ourselves from him because sin separated the relationship between God and all human beings. And so what we decided to do in our sinful nature is we decided to run to Rome and live like the world. To give in to all of our sinful desires and passions. And then one day... For any of you in this room who are a Christian, one day you met that mediator. And it wasn't Paul. His name is Jesus. And Jesus said, I can forgive you. I can forgive you of your sin. Not only that, I can actually be the bridge that connects you back to God, my Father. Not because of what you've done. In fact, you're San Francisco and my God is Marion County. And it's impossible for you to get over there. And Jesus says, but I'll build that bridge for you anytime. And that bridge is simply this. Jesus says, I'll come to live the life that you couldn't live. I'll live with no sin and then I will go to a cross and I will extend my arms and I will die for your sins. And I will rise again on the third day so that you can know and without a shadow of a doubt that sin and death have been defeated and that I will be your bridge back to God. All you have to do is just be, just trust me and step across me and be mended and reconciled back into a relationship with God, your majestic, universal Father and Creator. You see the gospel? We are Onesimus brought back to the Master through the blood of Jesus. And no longer does Jesus call us an enemy, but Jesus now calls us his child. If that is what you believe, If that is what God has done to you to extend forgiveness and grace to you, then don't you think we ought to be like Jesus and extend that same grace, forgiveness, and love to those who have wronged us? You see, biblical reconciliation is an opportunity for you to show and be like Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? You get to be a a visible picture of the gospel in your relationships. You might say, Jeremy, how does this actually all play out then? I'm going to share with you a personal story of mine. So many of you don't know this. Maybe some of you do, but I was not walking with Jesus when I was in college. When I was in college, I lived for Jeremy and Jeremy alone. I was my own God. I was my own Savior, and I did whatever I wanted. In fact, to this day, if you ask any of my college friends, they will tell you, can you all believe that Jeremy's actually the one that became the pastor? Bizarre. So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about some of the, we were talking about our old college days. And I remembered this guy at, at, at A&M and I was mean, I was not, I was nasty to this man. I said mean things to him. I pushed him away. I was, I was not, I was a bad dude. And I began to think about this man and I'm like, man, I wonder what he's doing today. This is almost like 20 years ago. And I found out he was living in College Station. So I called him one night. 
I got his phone number and I called him. He didn't answer. So I left him a message and I wish I could have been there like a fly on his wall to see what happens when he heard, hey, this is Jeremy. He probably passed out. Like, who is this? I got to listen to that again. So he texted me. He's like, hey, Jeremy, what's going on? I said, hey, I'm going to be in College Station two days next week. You want to have lunch? He was like, yeah, I can get away for lunch. I said, all right, let's meet at this place at lunchtime. He walked into the restaurant, and I'll never forget his face. His eyes were like he had just seen a ghost. Like, so he walks up. And I said, like, hey, man, it's good to see you. Shake his hand. And he turns to me, and he's, he's, we sit down, and I was like, you know, thinking, what do you do when you first kind of see somebody that you haven't seen in a long time? You exchange pleasantries, right? How are you doing? How's your family? What y'all up to nowadays? Nope. He's like, what do, you, what do you want? I was so surprised to get your phone call, and ask, you asked me to lunch. I was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to go ahead and get right down to it. And I said, I just want to let you know, I know you're a Christian, and you were a Christian in college. I said, but I just, I'm here to ask for your forgiveness. He was like, What? It's like, I was, I was not very nice to you in college. I, I said mean things to you. I cursed at you. I told you to get out of my way. I rebelled against you all the time. And I, I, I'm a Christian now. God has reconciled me to, his father, uh, to, to himself through Jesus. And I was thinking about you the other day, and I was thinking about how our relationship was probably not very good, probably really bad. And I was thinking about you, and I said, I wanted to get together, and I wanted to apologize to you. And ask you to forgive me as a brother in Christ. And he just stared at me with his mouth to the... I said, I can't even believe you're sitting here asking me that right now. He's like, I don't even know what to say. And I'm like, it's very simple. Just say, you'll forgive me. He's like, okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. And to this day, we still call and text. And I actually texted him this morning, tell him I was praying for him. And our relationship is no longer what it used to be when I was in my sinful state. Our relationship has now changed into something that we were supposed to always be, which is brothers in Jesus. Do you think that's a powerful testimony of the gospel's power? Brothers and sisters, that's what should be a common, natural thing here at Center Church Brenham. This is how we value biblical community. As we act like Jesus and reconcile the relationships among us, even those that have been broken by sin. So how do you respond to a message like this today? Well, number one, some of you in this room, you first need to just believe in Jesus. You need to take that first step across that Jesus bridge and say, I'm putting my trust and faith in what you have your work, Jesus, knowing that you're going to reconcile me back to God. And if that's you this morning, what I want you to do is at the end of this message, I want you to come find me and say, Jeremy, today I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Today I'm ready to follow him and be reconciled to the creator of the universe. I believe that your message is true. If you can't get a hold of me, then you can come to Pastor Kyle. He'll be glad to talk with you as well. But secondly, I'm going to ask our partners in here. Is there somebody in, our, in this room that you have a problem with? A broken relationship with? Because of sin, unintentional, intentional, offended, whatever the case may be. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to sit in your chair right there and I'm going to ask you to pray for that person. Pray, God, I can't put this relationship back together, but you can. And then I want you to take that moment of prayer and I want you to say, and this is what I'm thankful for, for that person's life. And begin today to begin to stir in our hearts of people who display the gospel in our own relationships. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't have any problems with anybody in this church. 
I'm actually in a good season right now, Jeremy. Well, then good. Good for you. But here's what I would ask you to start considering and praying through as well. Be eager to maintain that here at Center Church Brenham. Maybe you need to be a mediator for someone else then. And ask God to give you an opportunity to help reconcile relationships that might be broken among us. I'm going to ask our band to come back and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you three, two minutes to just take some time to do some work with the Lord in your prayer time. And then from there, we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Jesus who did bring us back to the Father when we were distant, when we were running away, living in the world. Who became our ultimate mediator. So, Father, I pray that we would be a people that not only cultivate biblical community, but we cultivate a biblical community built on biblical reconciliation with one another. We are going to hurt each other. Because we live in a fallen, broken world and we are still being sanctified in Jesus. But, Lord, let us be quick to ask for forgiveness. And let us be quick to forgive. We ask that the gospel restores relationships all across this room today. So that we can show the world, just as Pastor Kyle read for us a few moments ago from you, where we show the world that our love for each other is proof that we are disciples of you. So, Father, work in the hearts of the people right now in this room, I pray in Jesus' name.